I hope everyone had a great Christmas and has had a happy New Year. I'm sure some of you have uh, made some New Year's resolutions. How many of you made New Year's resolutions this year? All right, how many of you have already broken those? All right, that's what I thought. Well, you know, I love New Year's. It's a, it's a great time to kind of have a, a new start, to set some new goals for your, for your life for the next year. And as a church, as River Rock Bible Church, our goal, our mission is this to go into our community and allow every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. That's our goal. That's our mission. That's our resolution. And that is not going to change. But as a church, what we've decided is that we, we want to uh, have a way to continually remind ourselves, give, our, give ourselves a challenge to move us forward in reaching and accomplishing that mission and that goal every year. And so each year we're going uh, to have a theme for each year, and, and uh, it'll change from year to year. Some years it might be a, a passage of Scripture. Some years it might be a phrase, or, or like this year, it might just be a single word. All right, so you ready for, for this year's theme? Can I get a drum roll? This year's theme is stewardship. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, great. He's going to turn into one of those televangelists and just start asking us for money every Sunday, and that's all we're going to hear about for the next year. But that's not it. Stewardship is so much more than just talking about money. Stewardship is this. Stewardship is when you're entrusted with the responsibility of managing resources, Right, So we recognize that we've been entrusted with the responsibility of managing the resources that God has given us. And while that does include money, and yes, we're going to talk about money some, there's so much more to stewardship than just money. Right? We, we want to be good stewards of our time. We're going to talk about how we can steward our relationships where we live, work, and play. And we're going to talk about how we can steward our, our gifts and our abilities and our, our talents all for God. So we're going to talk about all different sorts of, of aspects of stewardship. And we're going to start the year by looking at the book of Jonah. And as Annika mentioned earlier, what we're going to see as we go throughout the book of Jonah is that God is a God of second chances. We're going to see that over and over and over again, that God is a God of second chances. And what we want to ask ourselves is, how are we going to steward those second chances? How are we going to steward those second chances? So if you will, go ahead and open up your Bible to the book of Jonah. Uh, it it's, can be a little bit difficult to find. It's, it's in the Old Testament, right between Obadiah and Micah. Uh, and if that doesn't help you any, you can always go to the table of contents and find it there. That's not cheating. That's allowed. You can do that. This is an open book uh, service here. So you can go ahead and open and find the first chapter of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1. Now, how many of you are, are somewhat or at least a little bit familiar with the story of Jonah? Anybody? All right, good. That's, that's enough. Uh, that's a lot of us, right? So most of us sort of know the story of Jonah. We know that he's a man who doesn't do what God wants him to do, and so God puts him in the belly of a whale. He lights a fire. The whale sneezes, and he comes up on dry land, and he gets to be a real boy for the rest of his life. Oh, wait, that's Pinocchio. But most of us know a little bit of the story of Jonah. And, and while you may be familiar with it, here's, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask that as we go through the book of Jonah, that you come with, to, to this book with a, an open mind and a fresh perspective, that you would ask God to give you a new perspective on the story that, that you may already know. Because I believe that God has something to say to each and every one of us. Because I believe, as we're going to see this morning, that there's Jonah in us, 
right? Every single one of us has some Jonah in us. And so I just want us to come and ask God, God, would you, would you give us a fresh perspective on this and, and let us hear directly from you? Can we just pray for that right now? Let me pray. God, as we look into your word, we pray that you would give us a fresh perspective on this story that many of us are familiar with. Lord, that we wouldn't assume that we know uh, what's coming next, but that we would just have our hearts and our minds open to hear from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's dive right in. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of, Nun, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. All right, so Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1, we're introduced to the namesake and author of the book of Jonah. Jonah, his name means dove, right? The idea is that he's a peaceful one. He's a, a peaceful guy. He carries a message of peace. And, and then we also read that he's the son of Amittai. Now that name, Amittai, is, is, uh, has very significant meaning. Amittai means tr- my truthful one, or simply truth. So Jonah, son of Amittai, is Jonah the son of truth. What a great name for a prophet, isn't it? The prophet who is the son of truth. Unfortunately, Jonah isn't known by many people as the son of truth. Many people call Jonah the reluctant prophet, and we see why in verse 3. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah. He says, I want you to go preach. And and Jonah says, thanks, but no thanks. I hereby resign as prophet, and and I'm going to do something else. We're going to talk about why Jonah runs in just a little bit. But but look at what it says, verse 3. But Jonah, help me out, but Jonah ran away from the Lord, right? Jonah ran away from the Lord, and then at the end, he says, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish. Why? To what? To flee from the Lord. So Jonah is a man on the run, and we're going to talk a little bit more about exactly why he did that in just a minute, but before we do that, I want us to go back to verse 1, chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 1. That very first phrase, this is going to be the key. That very first phrase. What's it say? It says, the word of the Lord, what? Came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. The word of the Lord can and will come to you too because our God is a God who speaks. When God created, he created through his spoken word. He said, let there be, and it was. John 1 tells us this. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's what we just celebrated at Christmas. Our God is a God who speaks. God has spoken in many different ways throughout history. There were times when when God would speak through an audible voice. Like with Adam and Eve in the garden. They would walk with God and they could talk with him. Abraham got to hear God's voice. Moses got to hear God's voice. There are other times in, in the Bible where God speaks through his prophets. God often speaks into our lives through, through circumstance. God continues to speak today through his Holy Spirit, but the number one way that God speaks to us is through this right here, the Bible. You want to hear the word of the Lord? You want, you want someday for someone to look back and say, the word of the Lord came to Ryan, the word of the Lord came to Amanda, the word of the Lord came to Todd? Man, you, you get in this word and you open up the Bible and you begin reading it and listening to what it says and the word of the Lord will come to you. 
The word of the Lord will come to you. That's where we want to start today is that the word of the Lord will come to you like Jonah. Like Jonah, we're going to find out that when the word of the Lord comes to us, God often asks us to do things that we don't want to do. God often asks us to do things that we don't want to do. Has anybody ever been there? The word of the Lord comes to you and you're like, "Mm, I don't know about that. That's a little bit challenging. And here's, here's what happens is because of the Jonah in us, the word of the Lord comes to us and, and we think we know better. We think, oh, you know what, God, that's, that's great. I'm glad you brought that up to me, but no thanks. Um, I've got my own way of doing it because we've all got a little Jonah in us. Jonah gets called to go preach to the Ninevites and, and he's a prophet. This is what he does. He preaches And he kind of says, no thanks, I'm not really interested in that. And you may be wondering, why wouldn't Jonah go and preach? This is what what prophets do. And you can go to 2 Kings chapter 14 and read a little bit more about Jonah. He's already had a successful preaching ministry there in Israel. So why wouldn't he go? Why would he run away from the Lord? And let's look again at verse 2. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah... And he says, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. All right, so it doesn't exactly tell us what that wickedness is, but when you look into the history of the city of Nineveh, then you begin to understand why Jonah may not have wanted to go and why he probably hated the city of Nineveh. See, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which at the time was the most powerful country in the world most powerful empire in the world, and they were known for their brutality. These people were sick and twisted. They didn't come in and just conquer a city and say, this is our city now. No, they were brutal in the way that they did it. They would come in, and when they would would wage war against a city, they would kill and destroy as much as they possibly could during the battle. Anything that was left alive, any of the women that were left alive, the men would, the, the Assyrians would then rape them, including little girls. They would get little children and they would torture the children of these cities. Any of the men who weren't killed during the battle, they would take them outside the city, skin them alive, and bury them up to their neck. And then they would pull out their tongue and stake it in the ground so that they would go insane as they died from dehydration. Once everybody was dead, they would cut their heads off and build a pyramid out of their heads as a warning sign to everyone else around them. So you can kind of see why nobody really liked the Assyrians Why Jonah probably hated him. Maybe he had a relative that had been attacked in a city by these Ninevites, by the Assyrians. And so in Jonah's mind, he has legitimate reason for not wanting to go. The word of the Lord comes to him, and and, and in his mind, he says, you know what? I think I know better. I have legitimate reason for not liking these people, and so I'm not going to do it, God. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And because there's Jonah in us, we find ourselves doing the exact same thing. The word of the Lord comes to you and he says, I need you to forgive this person. I want you to forgive this person. You're reading your Bible and it says, forgive even as the Lord has forgiven you. And you know, God, I know I'm supposed to go forgive this person, but you don't understand. They don't deserve my forgiveness. And so because of the Jonah in us, we walk away. Or or maybe you know what the Bible says about tithe. You know that it says that the first 10% of all your income is to be returned to the Lord as a matter of stewardship. But you say, you know what, that doesn't make sense to me. If, if I give God 10%, then, then that means I've got to cut back on my entertainment and my stuff that I want to do. So I, I'm not going to do that. 
And so we choose to disobey. And, and what we have to understand is that sometimes disobedience isn't just uh, directly you know, saying, you know what, I'm not going to do that. Sometimes disobedience comes when we delay doing what God tells us to do. Sometimes God says, I want you to go do this. And you say, you know what, God, that sounds great. Once I get married and have kids and have a family, then I'll go do this. And what we don't realize is that delayed obedience is disobedience. Parents know this better than anyone. In fact, you don't even have to be a parent to know this, right? How many of you have been in the grocery store and you've seen this unfold? Get over here right now. I mean it. Get over here. I'm going to start counting. And if I get to three, you're going to be in trouble. One, two, two and a half, two and three quarters, two and seven eighths. And it's like they're going through a set of socket wrenches, you know, with all the measurements. And they're like, three, okay, now, now I'm going to come get you and you're in trouble. Well, is that, has that child obeyed or have they been disobedient? They've been disobedient, right? Because delayed obedience is disobedience. And what happens is someday... They're out playing in the front yard, and mom says, don't run in the street. Don't run in the street. I mean it. One, two, splat, and whoa, hey, <laughs> delayed obedience is disobedience, right? And, and so <laughs> we got to remember that delayed obedience is disobedience, and uh, we want to obey God the first time. We've got to obey God the first time. And, and I want to prepare you for where we're going as a church because uh, there's some stuff coming up that I'm excited about. And I want you to be praying about it so when the word of the Lord comes to you, you can obey immediately. And you don't have to get splat or swallowed by a whale, right? And here's where we're going. Here's the vision. This has been the vision of River Rock Bible Church from the beginning. It was actually a year ago tomorrow. Uh, we had our first meeting as uh, uh, nine families that got together and said, we feel God is calling us to plant a church in Georgetown, and we're going to start praying and working together to plant that church. It was a year ago tomorrow that that happened, and we're here four months into services here at River Rock Bible Church. And from the very beginning, from the very beginning, it has been our heart and our intention and our prayer that within a few years we would plant a church out of River Rock Bible Church. Does that sound pretty crazy? That sounds pretty crazy, right? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't, that doesn't fit what, what our mind says should happen, but, but that's our vision. That's what God has called us to do because here's why. It's been shown that one of the most effective ways to reach people with the gospel is by planting churches. Planting new churches is one of the most effective ways for people to hear the gospel and come to faith in Jesus Christ. So we believe firmly in this. And here's why you need to start praying. Here's, first of all, let me tell you what I want you to pray. What I'm asking you to pray is this. God, how do you want me to be involved in the next church plant? God, how do you want me to be involved in the next church plant? And as you pray that, as the time comes, the word of the Lord is going to come to you. And the word of the Lord may come to you and say, you know what? I want you to go. I want you to go with this new church plant and help provide leadership. That's a pretty scary thought. And in your mind, you're thinking, God, I've got legitimate reasons for not going. I like it here. I have friends here. I don't know if I want to go. That's why you need to start praying now. Maybe God comes to you, the word of the Lord comes to you, and he says, I want you to make some significant sacrifices financially so that you can support this new church plant. Or maybe the word of the Lord comes to you and says, I want you to clear out some time in your schedule that you can dedicate 
to praying for this new church plant, for the church plant pastor, for the team that's going to go with them, and for the people that they are going to encounter who are going to hear the gospel for the first time. So whether you pray, whether you give, or whether you go, all of us are needed to be able to send out more people so that we can be fulfilling that mission of going into our community and allowing every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. That's where we're headed. That's what I get excited about because we're going to see more and more people. We're going to see people in our own community who are coming up and they're coming to faith in Jesus Christ and we're going to have the opportunity through relationship with Jesus Christ to, to equip them and then to send them out into their own communities to send them out, and some of us are going to go with them. That's, that's exciting. So be praying. Be praying and be listening for the word of the Lord because the word of the Lord will come to you. And the question is, what are you going to do with that opportunity when it comes? How are you going to steward that opportunity when the word of the Lord comes to you? Are you going to obey or are you going to be like Jonah? Are you going to be like Jonah? And, and here's what happened to Jonah. Jonah found out, let's look at verse 3. It says, but Jonah did what? Ran away from the Lord. And then at the end it says, he went and sailed for Tarshish. Why? To flee from the Lord. All right, so here's what we learned from Jonah. What we learned from Jonah is that you can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. Amen? Anybody been there before? You can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. Some of you guys know this. You get on track and you say, God, I, I know I... This is where you want me to be. I want to do that. And then your old buddy comes along and says, hey, man, let's not do it that way. Let's, let's do it the way we've always done it. Let's go back and, and just do it the way we've always done it. And you find that boat that's sailing in the wrong direction, and you hop on it, and you begin sailing in the wrong direction. God, God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. We're going to put up a map here. Uh, let's look at this map. So we see Joppa right here, and, and just north of there is Gath Heifer, which is where... Um, where Jonah actually lived is just a little bit north of there, and Joppa is right here. And if you find it on a map today, it's called Jaffa, J-F-F-A. So that port still exists today. And God says, I want you to go about 600 miles uh, northeast to Nineveh. And Jonah says, thanks but no thanks. I hereby resign, and I'm going to Tarshish. And he heads in the exact opposite direction. This is the furthest port in the known world at the time of Jonah, in modern-day Spain, all the way across the Mediterranean Sea. It's 2,000, over 2,500 miles away from where God called Jonah to go. That's about the distance from New York to L.A. on a boat with sails. That's about a one-year journey. That's about a one-year journey. That's a lot of running. That's a lot of running. And some of you know what that's like because right now you're on the run from God. Maybe the person next to you doesn't even know it. They look at you, maybe it's your spouse, and they think, yeah, he's right on track. She's right on track. They're following the Lord. But in your heart, you know that the word of the Lord came to you and said, I want you to do this. And you said, nope, I'm getting on that boat. Nobody else knows it but you. Here's what you got to know. You can run for a little while, but you can't run forever. It's going to catch up to you. You can always find a boat sailing in the wrong direction. You know what? Sometimes we run, and sometimes we just find out that we've been drifting. You ever been there? 
Amanda and I, uh, for our honeymoon almost 10 years ago, we went on a cruise, and our favorite day was the day that we got to uh, be on this private island that the cruise line owns, and you're just there at this, this island with everybody else from the cruise, and they drop you off at the front part of the island, um, but there's stuff all the way around the island. So we got there, and we ended up on the backside of the island where there were hammocks and little cabanas where you could buy food and drink. And so we just hung out on the backside of the island all day because there was nobody around. It was just us. We, we hung out in the hammocks. When we'd get hot, we would get in the water and cool off. Beautiful, crystal clear blue water. We were, you could see starfish. We were picking up the starfish in these little sea slugs, which are nasty-looking things. And I got to step on a sea urchin, which was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> But we're out there, we're cooling off, we're playing in the water, we're picking up all this wildlife, and, and we're just looking at it, and then we decide we're going to head back to shore, and when we look up, we can't find our hammock anymore. We can't find the cabana, because we'd been out in the water, and the current had caused us to just drift away from where we were. We didn't intentionally move away from it. We just looked up, and we were in the wrong spot. And maybe that's where some of you are. Maybe you, you look up and you realize that there was a time in your life when the word of the Lord would come to you and you would, you would hear from him and you would see God do amazing things in your life. And then one day you decided, you know what, I, I'm a little too busy to go to church. I'm going to stop going. And then it's a couple of weeks before you've been and then you realize that you're not reading your Bible as often, you're not praying as often. A couple months, maybe a year goes by. And you look up and you realize, why isn't God doing all the stuff that he used to do in my life? Why am I not hearing from God the way I used to hear from him? I wasn't running from him. I just, I just drifted. Anybody been there before? Are you there now? Whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, when we disobey God, We've we got to be careful. We've got to understand that this is not God's desire, but, but there's something I want us to see here. When we're disobedient to God, look at verse 4. It says, the, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. I'm going to keep going. All the sailors were afraid and cried out to their own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell to sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. So when, when the word of the Lord comes to you, you may find that it's something that you don't want to do, and you can always find a boat headed in the wrong direction. And if you find yourself on that boat headed in the wrong direction, know this, that God will often send a storm to grab your attention. God will often send a storm to grab your attention. Now this is a hard thing because sometimes these are very painful circumstances that we have to go through so that God can get our attention and get us back on track where he wants us to be. And that's, that's never any fun. So Jonah's here on the boat and, and this boat that he's on is, is a cargo ship. So it would have been one of the strongest boats around. And it would have had some of the most experienced sailors around. And this boat is, is out there, and it, uh, the storm comes up that is so strong that the integrity of the ship is threatened, that this whole ship is about to come apart. 
The sailors are freaking out. They don't know what to do. These are probably Phoenician sailors. They're pagan people. They're polytheistic. So they start calling out to their own God. And they begin taking the cargo, and they're throwing it overboard. You've got to realize they would only get paid if they brought the stuff with them when they showed up in, in Tarshish, right? So they're throwing their livelihood, they're throwing money overboard just so they can lighten this boat to keep it from sinking. And where's Jonah? The one man who knows how to stop the storm, the one man who knows how to save these men, where is he? He's asleep. He's asleep. And the captain comes to him and says, Jonah, you gotta wake up. You know, call on the name of your Lord. Whatever you gotta do, do it and wake up. He says, we've we got to figure out what's going on here. So they begin casting lots to find out what's going on. Because they're in the middle of this storm. This is, this is what blows my mind. They're in the middle of this storm. It's all Jonah's fault. Jonah's running from God. And look at what he says in verse 9. He says, they're casting lots to find out whose fault this is. It's kind of like a lottery that you don't want to win. And Jonah draws the short straw, and they say, Jonah, tell us what you're doing. And he'd already told him what he'd done. He told him he was running. Verse 9 says this. He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. We're going to talk about that in a second. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them. So he's already said, hey, look, I'm running away from God. But look at what he says in verse 9. I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. Do you really, Jonah? Do you really worship God? You're running, you're fleeing away. God asked you to do something, and you're running away. Do you really worship God? How can you say you worship God when you're so openly disobedient to him? That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. I worship the Lord. And then you're going to directly disobey him. That's pretty bold. Unfortunately, that's where many of us are today. Right? We say, oh, yeah, yeah, I worship the Lord. I worship the Lord, and then I go home, and I yell and scream at my kids, and I throw stuff at them when they make me upset. Oh, yeah, I worship the Lord. You should hear how often I call on his name when I'm at the golf course or when my football team loses. Yeah, 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 we worship the Lord. We've got this Bible that, that sits on our coffee table. We got it about 15 years ago. It's like brand new, never been open. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we worship the Lord. We're a Christian couple, but, you know, we've been having some trouble in our marriage, and, and we don't have biblical ground for divorce, but we're going to get divorced anyway because it's just easier. But, yeah we, yeah, we worship the Lord. Worshiping the Lord is not something that just takes place on Sunday morning. It's a day by day, minute by minute, 24-7. It's a lifestyle. Worshiping the Lord is a lifestyle. Sitting in church on Sunday morning doesn't mean you worship the Lord. I can sit in my car, uh, sit in my garage all I want, and it doesn't make me a car, right? Sitting in church on Sunday doesn't mean you're worshiping the Lord, right? It's got to be a lifestyle. And I know some of those examples may not apply to you. Maybe your marriage is great. Maybe you love your kids. Maybe you, you don't use that kind of language and, and you're just the model citizen. But I want to warn you that perhaps there's more Jonah in you than you think. Because think about where Jonah is. What's going on in this story? Everyone on board this ship is about to die. They are crying out because they are dying. They're about to perish, be swallowed up and lost forever. And the one man who knows how to save him, the one man who can stop the storm and save these men is below deck and he's asleep. Pay attention to this because I feel like this is where we often get as Christians. 
we have the good news of Jesus Christ. We have the one message and the one person that can save the world, the dying world around us from eternal separation from God. But because we think it may be awkward or weird or because we're just apathetic, we're below deck taking a nap while the people around us are crying out for help and they're missing the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. You say you worship the Lord, but you're, you're below deck taking a nap. That's the Jonah in us. That's the Jonah in us. And here's what we got to remember. Let's, let's look at, at verse 13 and 14. So Jonah's caught up in the storm. Verse 13 says, instead, uh, the men are, are, are caught up in the storm with him. And, they, and Jonah says, look, here's how you stop the storm. You got to throw me into the sea. And they're like, nope, we're not doing that. It says, instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you please. So here's what blows my mind. Jonah, the prophet of God, the son of truth, has displayed no fear, no reverence for God as he's running away. Yet these pagan, polytheistic, Phoenician men now say, Hey, we're not throwing an innocent man in the ocean because we fear God. You see the irony in that? You've got the man of God who shows no fear of God, and you've got the pagan people who don't know God, who now they've got the fear of God in them. But here's the thing that, that Jonah realizes. Jonah finally comes to his senses, and he realized that his disobedience, his sin, has caught all of these other people up in the storm. Do you see that? You may think to yourself, man, this is my private sin. I'm the only one who knows about it. Nobody else is getting hurt. What does it matter? You've got to realize that when you're running from God, when you're caught up in some sort of sin, whether it's, whether it's deliberate or unintentional, God may send that storm to grab your attention. And when he does, there may be people around you who get caught up in that storm with you. Think about your wife, your husband, your children, your friends, your brothers and sisters. Do you really want them to be caught up in that storm with you? It's a hard thing to think about that even our personal sin that we think is private that doesn't affect anyone else can catch other people up in there. They get caught up in the storm because God's trying to get our attention. Let's keep going. Verses 16 and 17, it says, At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. They throw Jonah in, the sea goes calm. And it says, At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows to him. So they promise. What they do is now they're truly worshiping God. They say, okay, now we're going to worship God and we're making a vow to him. We're going to promise that from now on, we're only going to worship this God of the Hebrews, the Lord God who made the heavens and the earth, right? Verse 17, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. The Lord provided a great fish that's not exactly what I think of when I think of provisions. When I think of provisions from the Lord, I'm thinking like a table full of food, you know, the big spread that we just had at Christmas. I'm thinking of provisions like, hey, I just got a raise at work, or my kid just got some award, or, or I just got recognized for some big thing. That's what I think of when I think of provision, not, not a fish, but it says God provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. Here's what we see from that. We see that God often provides a second chance. This was Jonah's second chance at life. 
what should have happened, what we're going to see in chapter 2, is that Jonah gets thrown in and he's about to die. His life is about to end, but God provides this great fish to come and swallow Jonah because God's going to give Jonah a second chance at life. God's going to give Jonah a second chance. And so when the word of the Lord comes to you, and you, you have that choice to obey or disobey, if you disobey, you, you can certainly find a ship that's headed in the wrong direction. And when that happens, you've got to know that often God will send a storm to grab your attention. And know when that storm comes, it's not because God's punishing you. Don't get me wrong. That's, that's not why he sends the storm. He sends the storm to get your attention because he's trying to call you back to where he wants you to be. It's all because he loves you. Because God is a gracious God who wants to give you a second chance. He wants to give you a second chance. He wants to provide a second chance for you so that he can bring you back into relationship with him. There's one second chance that every single person that's ever walked the face of this earth is in need of, and that's a second chance at relationship with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. Big or small, doesn't matter. One sin separates us from God. And so we're in need of a second chance in that relationship, and God provided that through Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and, and you have never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, I hope that you, you will choose to do that. And that you'll take that second chance that God wants to give you so that you can have a relationship with him. Maybe God, the word of the Lord came to you and, and you're realizing this morning that God has a second chance for you. Maybe there's, there's a, a place in the city that God has for you or a people that he wants you to minister to. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your neighbors or people at work. Someone where you live, work, and play. Ask yourself right now, God, what second chance are you trying to give me this morning? What is there in my life? Where have I disobeyed? Where have I drifted from you? Where's that second chance? Because the word of the Lord will come to you. And my prayer is this, that when you get that second chance, when God provides you that second chance, that you'll learn from from Jonah's story and you'll learn to be a good steward of it. I hope that we all learn to obey the first time so we don't have to get swallowed, but when that second chance comes, how are you going to steward that second chance? Let's pray. God, we just thank you um, for this story of Jonah. Lord, as we, as we read it and we're familiar with it and we, we see that there's Jonah in all of us, that just like Jonah, we too often find ourselves wanting to run away from you. That because we feel like what you've asked us to do doesn't match up where we want to be, we run. We look for that ship that's headed in the wrong direction. And God, we, we also know that, that like Jonah, sometimes you're going to send that storm to grab our attention because you love us and you want us to come back to you. You want us to be reunited in relationship with you. And Lord, we also know that just like Jonah, you're going to provide us a second chance to follow after you so that we can have that relationship. So God, this morning as we begin a new year together, as we begin a new year and we think about starting over, making new goals, making new resolutions, that we would follow you with whatever second chance it is you're providing for us this morning. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.